back on SNY.TV, all of our digital platforms. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and I am joined today by CP, the franchise of Knicks Fan TV and the NBA Report, and Brendan Brown, three decades of experience in this league, and we're going to break all things Knicks down here, but we're going to start with the baseline, OG and Anobi, fantastic last night in a win over Portland. Four for six from beyond the arc. He just shot it really well. Probably his best shooting night as a Nick, as the Knicks really destroyed a bad Blazers team. And they were also dominant on defense. Thanks to Ananobi, he has been very good so far since this trade. The Knicks are 5-0 and since the trade. And, and Ananobi has really been everything the Knicks could have hoped for. And he's still getting used to things as a Nick. Hasn't really gotten the whole playbook, gotten everything down. He's still learning, but so far so good with the Knicks, Brendan and OGN and OB. And what are you seeing so far with OG? What stands out to you? Well, last night he had a great start to the game. He was very aggressive looking for his shot. It just wasn't making threes. He read closeouts, got into the paint, you know, and is using more of his whole game. He's only shooting about 10 times a game, whereas Barrett, the guy he replaced, shot 15. So this spread shooting around between a little bit more for Brunson, a little bit more for Randall, a lot more for DiVincenzo. But, you know, Ananobi taking all good shots, shooting very good percentages. But, Ian, when it comes down to it. When you are setting up your matchups in the coaches' meeting, the morning of the game, he takes the best perimeter guy. Last night it was Simons. Now DiVincenzo shifts down to two. That's not Barrett. That's better. And now you hide Brunson number three. But with having better defenders around Brunson than Hartenstein in the back, your team defense is better because Ananobi can take that number one matchup. In the two big wins over Minnesota, over Philadelphia, Edwards and Maxey had success against OG. But then the other two guys behind them shot 10 for 35, Connolly, McDaniels, Ugre, uh, Batum. And that's what's happening. DiVincenzo is an excellent off-the-ball defender. And by having OG on the ball a lot more, that improves your defense. Yeah, yeah, I'm with Brendan Ian. I mean, last night he he continued to show you his elite level of of three and D. I mean, the floor that he comes in with. But I love the fact that he's putting the ball on the floor, attacking those closeout, using his length and athleticism. He had a, a pretty. Uh, um, Impressive spin move into the paint, finished with a lefty layup. I mean, I thought that was good to see from OG Ananobi, and, and that's an area that I want to see him continue to dive into as you look forward to this contract extension. Can he do a little bit more with the ball in his hands? But uh, last night he was lights out from three, continuing to be a, a uh, corner three reliable shooter for Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. He's getting the team out in transition. And then what he's doing with the, for this team defensively, I mean, it's just off the charts up plus 111 through five games. We haven't seen anything like it. I mean, this Knicks team is still humming despite on, on the heels of this trade. They're, they're looking great. And CP, when you look at the rest of this roster, how do you think Ananobi complements the roster? Who does he help out most? Yeah. Offensively for Brunson and Randall, again, being that corner three shooter, right? Your assist numbers are reliant upon those guys knocking it down. And so when you have that shooting efficiency there, that certainly elevates your starting five. But as Brendan said, defensively, when you have 
a versatile wing that can take on the tougher assignments. It allows everybody else to slot down and play more of their roles. So he also provides cover for Jalen Brunson. He, he may also provide cover for Julius Randle. There were times in the Minnesota game where you see OG Ananobi guarding Carl Anthony Towns and making it tough for him and drawing a, a um, turnover. And so he looks fantastic there. Isaiah Hartenstein in the postgame press conference last night said that OG makes his life easier. I mean, when you have that type of defender that can uh, maintain at the point of attack and force tough shots, it makes the center's job easier. And then when guys are making their forays into the paint, his help defense. How many times have you seen Ananobi and Hartenstein combining and, and stuffing guys at the rim? So he, he's just all over the place and, and immediately has lifted this team across the board. Brendan, a lot of times you hear about teams incorporating two new players into the rotation after a trade or more, and that the difficulty doing that on the fly. Why has this worked for the Knicks? Is it a credit to the players who came in, the players who are here, the coaching staff? What do you see? Well, I think when it starts off, like in that very first game against Minnesota, Ananobi doesn't really need many distract. Uh, excuse me. Uh, explanations of the defense or details of the defense. He's going to play on instincts and he's going to be able to do that very well. And part of that is, you know, like CP, you know, just referred to like in the Washington game, he guarded Poole for a while. He guarded Kuzma for a while, but the more that he's on the ball, he can assimilate himself into the team very, very easily. Now what the Knicks have done offensively is they've taken away a lot of the continuities they ran for the better part of this season up until the trade because they're always trying to get RJ and Brunson and Randall a lot of touches. And now they've cut a lot of that out. They're running basic pick and roll plays. Brunson has the ball in his hands all the time. So it's easier for OG to kind of fit in the situation. He's reading Brunson off the dribble or off a pick. He's reading Randall in a post up or an ISO. And he's smart enough because he's a man. He's got a man's game and a man's head. So he understands how to get through contact, how to cut at the right time, and all those types of things. He understands what it takes to win. So if he has to be a little bit selfless, only taking 10 shots, it doesn't seem to bother him. Yeah, really, really great uh, credit to him because there was a lot of talk about how he wanted a bigger role in Toronto and he was unhappy. And we haven't seen that so far in New York at all. But when you look at Emmanuel quickly going out to Toronto, I think both of those guys have played pretty well so far, RJ and quickly for Toronto. But I think there was a concern about scoring off the bench. And then you see how this bench has played over this five game stretch. Miles McBride in particular, strong again last night against Portland. I think he had 16. He had the four threes against Philadelphia. He had said, if I get, minutes consistent minutes i'm confident in myself i'm going to be able to get the job done and keep this going and he showed that so far cp miles mcbride has he impressed you so, uh, last night so far i mean as long as he's shooting the ball well it's always going to be a good night for him because you know he's going to bring his defensive intensity and one thing about mcbride even though the minutes are going to come uh you know uh, kind of inconsistently as it has throughout his career as a nick he always comes ready he's, he's prepared he comes ready and he plays hard and so to see him shooting the ball well last night was, was certainly a positive you have to like that now is he going to be the playmaker that quickly was at, at times here for the knicks no, and so it's going to be left to be seen how they help the bench going forward between now and the trade deadline. But as long as he's out there, I think the Knicks have to look to provide the playmaking around him, meaning 
lineups with Julius Randle, lineups with Randle and Isaiah Hartenstein, with Josh Hart, with Quentin Grimes, guys that can put the ball on the floor, help playmake, and so McBride is not relied upon to do everything for that second unit. So as long as he's going in there, he's doing his job as a, as a 3 and D player, he's, he's going to be a, a, a great fit for this bench. It's just going to be left to be seen how much confidence do they have in him to uh, generate offense for this unit because – as you get into the thick of things in the second half of the season and onto the playoffs, they're going to need more experience in, in that role. Yeah, Brendan, I mean, looking, we're going to look ahead in a little bit to see what may be coming next in terms of adding to the bench. But the way you see things right now, the way you've seen Miles McBride over his three seasons, uh, do you feel like he can step in that role for them, be a regular rotation player for a Nick team that wants to do, uh, do a lot of things in the playoffs this spring? Well, a couple of ways to look at this. Number one, the bench so far is two for five in the five games. They were terrific in Philadelphia, obviously, 49 points. Then against Portland, weaker bench, young guys. They played very well last night. The other three games, they barely scored to what is a normal NBA bench. So they're averaging 29 points a game in these five games, which is under the 33 points they usually average so far this year. So can you continue to get good production, get good numbers out of it? Well, defensively, you know McBride is going to be incredibly competitive. Tom likes that. He's going to stick his nose in there. He's going to try to body you up. The question becomes in certain matchups, after the first dribble, can he contain the ball and keep the ball out of the paint? I think there are a lot of people, Nick fans, media, whatever, who think he's some sort of a shutdown defender. He's not, and he's small. But he is very competitive, and that's great. On the flip side, offensively, okay, we all have to worry about his shot. Our team's leaving him open or not leaving him open. But something that's been good his entire career is his assist to turnover. It was good when he was a rookie. It was like 9-1 to one at one point. Right now it stands at 6-1. to one. So when you're searching out with the bench group, whether Randall's in it, Brunson's in it, OG can be in it, you know, having a point guard who's not going to turn it over so you're at least getting shots, you know, that would be a big part, a piece of the puzzle. When you also look at last night, fellas, Julius Randle, near triple-double, really strong number in assists. And it seems to me like the way he's playing the shot selection, he's done a really good job lately of fitting into within what the Knicks are trying to do. CP, I'm curious, when you look at Randle and you look at the way he's playing right now, I mean, do you see him as a part of what the Knicks ultimately want to do, which is be a, a competitor in the East year in, year out, uh, finals appearances and all that? Do you see him being a part of that based on what he's done recently? Yeah, you have to give him a lot of credit. I, I look at two things, self-awareness and accountability. When, when he says he goes back, he, he looked at the film and saw that last year he was taking difficult shots. He, it doesn't have to be that hard. I mean, when you have a guy with his physical attributes, his agility on most nights, he's a mismatch nightmare for a lot of teams. And so he needs to be using that to his strengths, collapsing defenses and, and playmaking for his team and playing smarter. That's what I've seen from Julius Randle so far this year is, uh, yes, he's been aggressive and attacking 
attacking the basket more and, and more averaging more drives into the paint, but he's playing a lot smarter. Cutting down on the turnovers, making quicker decisions when the attention is is being sent his way, and so I think that has been elevating this team, especially when when you look on the heels of this trade. and And I was watching to see how would this team respond with our with the departure of of RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, with the addition of OG Ananobi, and especially from Julius Randle. I think you see a more concerted effort to elevate this team to playmake because he understands that there is a void there, there is an offensive void that's been left by these two guys, and. And even on the defensive end, his effort, I think the Ananobi trade has has sparked Julius Randle to play harder and play more consistently from an effort standpoint on the defensive end. So, um, so far, you have to love what you see from him. He's playing at, a, at an all-star, all-NBA level uh, along with Jalen Brunson. And uh, these are the two guys. The, the Knicks are showing you that uh, that they're trying to build around, at least for right now. So they've got to go forward with it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the Eastern Conference and where they are in a minute, but I will say on Randall too. Just I've seen a lot of losing locker rooms, having covered this team for ten plus years. I know what a losing locker room feels like. I know what it sounds like, and I know a little bit about what a winning room, winning locker room sounds like. This is a, a happy locker room, a winning locker room right now, and I say that when we talk about Randall because every time he's doing an interview, it seems like. Josh Hart's joking around. Someone's yelling All-Star or Indiana behind him, and he's starting to laugh in the middle of the interview. And he he's a happy camper at the moment, and there's a lot of jokes flying around this Nick locker room after these games. And, it, you know, it just seems like everybody is really confident, really happy with where they are, and really happy with where things may go. So I think that says a lot about where this club is too. But you look at this Eastern Conference, right? Nick's currently sitting in fourth place in the East, looking up at Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Boston. And Milwaukee scuffling a little bit. Knicks just played the Sixers, but it does seem like they're a clear step below that top tier in the East. But, Brendan, I'm curious in your thoughts, how does this Nick team stack up with the teams below it in the East? Can it really separate itself in that four spot to the teams that are battling below it? Well, if you're just using NBA scheduling common sense, uh, the answer to that is not only yes, it's definitely yes. I mean, the Knicks are at a point right now, they're owed seven home games. Now they're going to go play in Dallas and Memphis. It's going to go up to nine home games that they are owed. So, you know, in seasons past, even Tom Thibodeau teams, the team didn't always play well at home. I think that's different now because of the emergence of Brunson and the fact that he has the ball in his hands all the time. Now, something else to think about, five Nick players have played in every game. So it's not just Randall and Brunson who have played in every game. Hart, Hartenstein, and DiVincenzo have also played in every game. Now, can you keep up that health? But if you're at home a lot and a guy has to miss a game here or there, it's not as big a deal. Now, what's interesting, if you look at the schedules – of everyone in the Eastern Conference, three to eight right now, the Knicks actually have the least favorable schedule in terms of strength of schedule, the percentages of the teams. But they have the biggest advantage, them in Miami, about playing at home. But Orlando actually has the easiest schedule of all the teams who are left. So all six teams that are going to close out the season here as we move into the second half all have a favorable schedule. That's like really unusual that someone doesn't have a really hard schedule. So it's a lot of opportunity, but for the Knicks, can they play well at home? 
going to be an absolute dogfight. And, and you have to like the fact that they were able to get out of a tough December where it was a road-heavy schedule, several back-to-backs, and still emerged out of that in good, in good shape, in relatively good shape. And now they head into January with a home-heavy schedule. Uh, I think I believe the, the balance was about 28 to, to 16 in terms of remaining home and road games. But that four through eight, Ian and Brendan, I mean, that is going to be a dogfight for me from now until the end of the season. Uh, they beat Miami one time. They've lost to the Pacers one. They lost to, to Orlando. You know, they split They split two with the Cavs. And when they lost that second game, I said, man, that was an opportunity lost because they had a chance to win that game and put them away for the season series because I look at tiebreakers as being very key for yep. the Knicks here. Number four seed is where you get that home court advantage in the first round. So when they start playing these teams on the schedule, Indiana-Miami, uh, Orlando and so on. Those are going to be playoff type games. Very important games for the Knicks. So it'll be left to be seen where they where they um, where they fare. I don't. I still don't see them in that top tier. But four through eight, it, it's anyone's guess right now. And before we jump to our guy Matt Spenley, I think you know the trade deadline is going to be interesting because I'm told that Indiana was right there on OG and Anobi. Mm. They were close to getting a deal done with Toronto to bring Anobi there. And I say that because Pascal Siakam is still hanging out there, and we know Indiana has been aggressive there on Siakam and Halliburton obviously out for a little bit, but it seems like he avoided serious injury. But if they make a big trade ahead of the deadline, I think that changes the calculus of the East, so something to keep an eye on if you're a Knicks fan. And now we will go to our social media guru, Matthew Spenley, uh, formerly of the Knicks world. He's got a fan question from us. What's up, fellas? Okay. Uh, The fan question is from me today. I'm your fan. We might have another fan question later, but for now, I'm the fan. Uh, CP, I'm going to go right to you with this one because you talked about, Ian just brought up the Ananobi trade, and um, you know we know that the Knicks recently let Taj Gibson go. How concerned should we be about the backup center minutes? Uh, I think we can all say we haven't loved what we've seen from Precious Chichua. I know that a lot of Raptors fans have said he's been a frustrating player, um, but do you think that that could end up potentially changing how they approach the deadline, looking for some center help. We spent so much time talking about the guards. You guys talked about Deuce. So, CP, just kind of how you see that playing out. For sure. I I view their need for more front court help on the same level as their need for a a capable playmaker and scorer off the bench. I think, you know, it's still a a thin margin there with with Isaiah Hartenstein, who's playing at it, you know, all time level. But if he goes down, they're in trouble once again, because I'm not so sure what they have here in Preston Achua doesn't seem they're too confident in Jericho Sims when, you know, he came back from the ankle injury. He still got slid down to the center three position. So I still think they could use a, a backup four backup five, some more center depth there to, to provide some insurance as they make a, a playoff push. So uh, it's, it's very important. Uh, I think another part to it that goes into the backup center idea, who's the good screener? Why is Brunson having such a good year at certain times on certain nights? Because Mitchell Robinson and Hardenstein really clock people when they screen, whether that's in a dribble handoff, whether it's in a pick and roll, Achua is not that type of guy. He's not exactly a Tom guy. Obviously, they acquired him from Toronto. They needed a body. He is athletic, uh, but he's an inconsistent sort of a player, something in between a four and a five. You know, I wouldn't be crazy uh, in thought to say, let's start playing Sims again as the backup center because he's shown that he can do the Tom things, run the floor, rebound, and set screens. 
And maybe you're better off that way because you're not getting any offense out of Achua right now anyway. So why not have Sims play, who's more can, you know familiar uh, with the offense and with that group? But, yes, if you want to like, totally be careful and give yourself insurance, I get worried about Hartenstein every night. And he played every game last year. Yeah. He's played every game this year. But I'm just worried when he goes up and challenges that someone's going to, like, solar plex him in the face and then he's going to be out for two or three weeks. Yeah. I'm saying that as a compliment to Hartenstein that he plays so hard, but you it's worry hard. if something just goes wrong one night. Yeah, it seems like there's a period of evaluation right now with the Knicks and Precious Achua and different bench personnel and Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, who fits in there with that second unit. How does it work going forward? I think they're still looking at things, still assessing things as you get to the trade deadline. But for us, you should know we are in podcast form right now. So we are available wherever you get your podcast. Please go download us there. And now we're going to go to stargazing because with the Knicks, you're always talking about what's next, who's coming in, well, Leon Rose and the group running things, who's a star coming in. Now we're going to talk about a player who's not necessarily a star, but should be talked about a lot as the trade deadline comes, and that's Malcolm Brogdon. He was in the garden last night, did not have a great night, but I think he's going to be sought after by many, many contenders as you get to that February trade deadline. Portland, I would assume, is, would be looking for a first and a good young player back, and I think they're going to get that because there's going to be a lot of competition for his services. Where do the Knicks fall? I'm not so sure. I, I do know that I, there's a debate a little bit about should they go after a big to get big depth or should they go after more of a ball handler? I don't think there's a clear direction that's been set there, but if you're going after a ball handler, going to strengthen your bench, Brogdon has to be near the top of your list. I don't know if he is comfortable off the bench. I think maybe he wants to start, but maybe that's an issue for another day if you're trading for him now uh, as the Knicks would be in this hypothetical. But again, there's going to be a lot of competition for his services. Brendan Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, how would he fit with this Nick group? Uh, I mean, I think he would be good because his style of play, ball control, don't turn it over, take high percentage shots, set guys up for high percentage shots. If you're bringing him off the bench, he can defend most backup guards. He would have an ability to sneak into your first group on certain nights when it's needed. I kind of have two other thoughts. One, if you are getting worried about Deuce for any reason, right now it's going okay, you can always play DiVincenzo as the backup point guard. Just take him out first, let him be the backup point guard, but then you would need another guy potentially off the bench. My guy I kind of like, although I don't think Danny Ainge is going to help the Knicks, would be Jordan Clarkson because he matches up almost close on money, and then he would be expiring. So if you like Clarkson, you could try to figure something out with him after the season. If you don't, you can let the money melt off the cap. Just use the Fournier 19 and send it out to Utah. Maybe you got to throw something else in. But the reality of it is the way this is shaping up in the Eastern Conference this might be a little bit more of a win-now mentality. Like, I know that Leon has done it all piece by piece by piece. And he's three for three on his in-season trades with Derrick Rose, Josh Hart, and now what we're seeing with Ananobi. So he's doing a great job. But, you know, what can you get done at the deadline? I'm not sure. So maybe you have to do that in the offseason. But could Clarkson or someone like Clarkson be the right move? 
Yeah, and, and that's why, just as, as Brendan said, you know, with the East, with so much parity in the East, how aggressive will they be at the deadline? Because in deadlines past, they've, they've again, gotten acquisitions, they've gotten targets based on their budget, on the margins, low cost, low risk, high reward uh, at transactions. But what will they do in this offseason? How will they change? Will they change their approach? I like Brogdon. I, I think he could come in here and, and fit right away as a savvy veteran defense off the bench, the three point efficiency. You have to love that. Now, the Knicks didn't make his audition any easier on him. I, I thought you saw a concerted Nick defense last night to shut him out. And that on top of uh, just a, a incompetent Blazers group. I don't think he wanted to exert that much energy. So he didn't look that great. But uh, he would be an expiring deal at the end of this season, heading into the next one, if the Knicks wanted to hang on to him and, and maybe use him as a as, as as a future trade asset down the road. Uh, hey, the reigning sixth man of the year. I think that would be a good pickup. But uh, again, what at what cost and how aggressive will the Knicks be at the deadline? It's why I question even a DeJounte Murray acquisition because, you know, with three years left on his deal, Ian, it would be a stark departure for the Knicks in terms of acquiring guys with with uh, with longer term with years on their deal, they typically don't do that. So it's it's just uh, left to be seen at which which direction they'll go in. CP, great segue. I was just going to get into Dejounte Murray, but before we do that, because Dejounte and Malcolm Brogdon, there's some commonality here. They're both represented by Clutch Sports, and we reported a couple weeks ago that with Clutch, if a client wants to go to the Knicks, like if Malcolm Brogdon or Dejounte Murray said, "Hey," I want to get to New York. Rich Paul and Clutch is not going to stand in the way. They would they would certainly facilitate that deal. But if all things are equal, Rich Paul has been hesitant to do business with the Knicks to date uh, because of some issues he has with Nick uh, leadership, Leon Rose, William Wesley, and the group. He has said, I'm told that he had said he he's not going to do he's not going to move off that stance until and unless there's a sit down with Leon Rose, William Wesley, and and I don't know who else uh, to iron some things out. Whatever those re- whatever the reasons are, I'm not entirely sure, and I don't know if that sit down has happened yet. But that's a factor that you have to at least think about when you're talking about Dejounte Murray, Malcolm Brogdon, any other clutch client. That being said, let's get into Murray because. So many teams around the league think that he will be on the move at the deadline. But in talking to a couple teams, Atlanta's asking price is sky high. And Mm. so you would expect it to be because they gave up a lot to get DeJounte Murray. But he's he's gettable for the right price for the Knicks. I think you look at Atlanta and the idea that they're open to moving Clint Capella. I think they're looking for a big and I think they would probably be open to, to Mitchell Robinson coming back in that deal with the Knicks be open to moving Robinson. I'm sure for the right player, they would be. Uh, and when you look at Murray and you look at Brogdon too, you have to look at what the next move is. And I think with both of these guys under contract for next season and beyond, you have to look at them as potential pieces for an additional trade. Who's that? What's that next trade going to be in the summer? Uh, remains to be seen. A lot of it depends on what happens during the playoffs, what stars upset, who wants out. I think uh, at, at the very least, not at the very least, but certainly Carl Towns, I think, is going to be an option. And I think that that's going to be something that the Knicks, if it is an option, explore. But there should be other opportunities there. That's a conversation, though, for June in the here and now. Brendan Brown. What do you think about DeJounte Murray fitting on this roster? Well, he's the Tom type of guy in that he's a two-way player. Um, I think you worry about a couple different things there. I think the salary aspect of taking him on for three more years 
at that money. That's like exactly what the RJ contract was. And you did a good job in the Toronto trade of moving the RJ contract. So you have more flexibility. Uh, I'm a Murray guy. I like Murray. Uh, I love his ability to push the ball. I like him a little bit more playing the point guard position than playing off the ball on the wing. Um, I think he requires the ball. The one thing that worries me a little bit about him, uh, he really has never played on any winning teams, even in San Antonio or, you know, what's happened in Atlanta since he's been there. I don't think that, like, kills you off as, you know, coming into this team and you can be a good player. And Anobi was just on the struggling Toronto team. But he does have the fabric of being a Tom Thibodeau type of guy. Let's think about it this way. How happy are you if you're a Knicks fan, you're watching the last five games, you only have to really get two guys shots in the starting lineup, not three. And then we've seen other teams in the NBA that have unhappy campers when they need four guys to get shots. Well, you would be going back to maybe three with Murray coming in here and then still Ananobi. I don't know. I kind of like the groove they're in right now. And I think more bench scoring than I think make the starting lineup better. Last year, 84 points for the starting lineup, uh, the three big guys and quickly. 82 points the day of the trade, three big guys and quickly. The big four now is Ananobi, DiVincenzo, and the main two, and they're scoring 80. So do you need to do the starting lineup? Yeah, Brendan. Brendan's point is exactly why I have a hard time seeing the Knicks making a, a deal of, of that caliber because in his own, as a, as a player profile, you, you, you like it, right? He's, he's athleticism. He can playmake. He's shooting a three ball very well this year, can play defense, uh, improves the Knicks athletically, as I just said. But fit has to be taken into consideration. And if it hasn't been working out with Trey Young in Atlanta, how does it work now where you bring in two more ball-dominant players in, in Randall and Brunson and, and does DeJounte Murray have the same impact that he had when he was the guy in San Antonio or when he is the guy running the, at the point in Atlanta? Does he become that same impactful player playing in a starting lineup with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson? Now, if, you, if you're bringing him in to, uh, to run the bench, and I say, hey, that would be an, an a incredible upgrade, but he's certainly not going to do that. And based on the price that Atlanta paid to acquire him from the San Antonio Spurs, they're going to be looking to get that back. And so is that where the direction that the Knicks want to go in, ponying up extra draft picks, taking on a guy with three years of worth on his deal around uh, $28 million when you still have to pay OG Ananobi. He's going to get northwards of 30. Jalen Brunson will soon, I think he's going to get close to 50. Julius Randle, if he's on this team, he's going to be getting a, a bigger deal. So is that the team that they're going to really look to lock in on as they look towards the future? I have a hard time seeing a uh, DeJounte Murray acquisition for the Knicks. Right. And you look at some other names out there, guys, the bigger names, obviously, Zach Levine. I think he would be on the move if there's a deal for the Bulls to make with the Los Angeles there. I think the hang up would be Austin Reeves. I think Chicago would want Reeves back in a deal. I don't think the Knicks get involved there. In addition, DeMar DeRozan, I would be surprised, at least at this point, if the Knicks got involved in a big way there. You look at other maybe um, smaller moves to be made. You look at the situation in Washington with their guards. Is there a lead guard that you can pluck from a Wizards team that's not really going anywhere? And then Detroit. 
Boyan, Boyan, excuse me, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, he's going to be available. He has been available in the past. The Knicks had checked in last trade deadline. I would expect Philly to be in there as well. So there's going to be competition there. The price for Bogdanovich would be high. So how much do you pay? Is there a player outside of Clarkson, Brendan, that I mentioned or that's on your mind that you feel like would be a pretty good fit for this Knicks team? Well, I've looked up a lot of different guys, like a lot of different guys. Some that are even long shots, like Kevin Herter is out of the mix in Sacramento, but he has two more years of money, so probably not him. But my point is this. When the Knicks have made these good moves, two of the three, first of all, have been way before the trade deadline. So that's kind of smart in a way to make your move before other people are trying to make their bids and their moves. Did everyone think Derrick Rose was going to be really great for the Knicks? No, he was a Tom guy. And at the time, he wasn't really playing well in Detroit. He was unhappy there. Did people think that Hart was going to have that big an impact? No. I mean, he was a good piece, good defender, and an excellent rebounder for his size. Ananobi, okay, that's a little bit more of a bigger name, but he's not coming in here as a number one or a number two scorer. And look at the effect it's had on the team. I think what CP says in terms of fit becomes very important here. So what's your fit? You're in a good groove right now. You're outscoring people by 20 points a game right now, the last five games. So what's your fit and what do you need? And I keep pointing to the bench because the bench, three of the five games, didn't do much. And, you know, that you just got to constantly look at it night after night after night. You know, who's shooting well? But then again, how many points are you scoring off your bench? You know, the, the, the morning of the trade, the Knicks' starting lineup was 15th in the league in scoring. Now they're 10th in five games. They're up to 10th. And the Knicks' bench was 14th at the time, and now they're down to 17. Well, you know, you just got to keep looking at the numbers. But whatever Tom and Leon are doing, communicating during the year, they keep bringing good pieces and good fits into what the Knicks exactly need. CP, for you, other names out there, Outside of Clarkson, maybe somebody I mentioned, who do you see as, as a potential good fit for this roster? Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of fans like uh, Alec Burks from Detroit. What will, what will Troy Weaver do there? Now, Burks isn't having a, a typical Burks year for them, but, uh, you know, if he came back to New York, w- would he bounce back? I also like uh, from Detroit, even though he he's still trying to come back from the quad injury, is a guy like Amante Morris, someone who can kind of fill that McBride role a, a little bit more consistently than, than McBride. But he, he's uh, it doesn't seem like he's, he's back yet from the injury, so that's a little tough. But another guy, I believe he's making about $9 million dollars this year and set to be a free agent after that a guy like Amante Morris uh you know is a Taylor Horton Tucker available from Utah so you know maybe a low acquisition deal there if you can't get a Clarkson um somebody that can just come in and, and fill that void there in the bench role I don't see them making just a, a big splash to the starting lineup a la DeJounte Murray but someone who can fill that void off the bench a veteran who can provide some scoring some playmaking punch I think that would be ideal for this team Look, we're not having this conversation about the Knicks or anything that we talked about in the last 25 minutes without Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is the engine. He's been the key since he got here. I'm calling him the stimulus package because he saves jobs. He creates jobs. He's really been a boon to this Knicks economy. And do you guys think, based on how he's playing right now, he just won Eastern Conference Player of the Week, is he not getting enough attention nationally because he gets it? locally but nationally is he not seeing the attention that you would think a player of his stature could cp where are you on that 
I don't think so. And, you know, the, the whole Becky Hammond controversy stirred. Is he too small? I, I think that is sort of a, a mental block for some people that, that can't see the greatness in, in a smaller player. Yes, history has said that we, we've seen a lot of greats there from Stephen Curry to Isaiah Thomas on down. But I think it takes a while for those smaller players to, to garner that respect until you start to win significantly. But for Brunson, I, I think he, he needs more more awareness within our own fan base because he hasn't been up there on the all-star votes. So we've got to do a deep dive. On, on, on how do we get Knicks fans out there to the polls and get them to vote for this guy into the All-Star game because he's very deserving of, of, uh, of, of that acknowledgement. Brendan, when you look at Jalen year two, you see anything that's different? You see anything that he has improved upon from year one? Um, I'm going to go back kind of to the last question because I don't feel he does get the national acclaim but I don't think his game is set up for the national acclaim. So like we all watch him every night and we see the footwork and we see the good shots. And now the three point shooting, which he didn't have in Dallas. Let's remember he's 31% his last year in Dallas. He's been in the forties all year this year. He's at 42. I think, and I think CP would agree with this. The way the game is marketed in a, on a national scale and the, you know, the show at three o'clock and everything else, he doesn't have the kind of game that like really excites you in terms of highlights and stuff like that. He just scores. He's just fundamentally sound. He's just a winning sort of a player. He's a small guy that can take a lot of contact. But as for like promoting him against some of the other guards or what they do and it's a little bit more fancy, et cetera, et cetera, I just don't think he gets that kind of a feel. And I feel very bad for him that when you look at the all-star voting, and then if we were to rank the top six guys and who we think it should be, and he's sixth right now in the voting, um, that's sad in a way. Like maybe yeah. should the Knicks promote him more? Or I don't know. I don't know exactly how to promote him more on a national way. I also think a lot of people in the national way never want to give it to the Knicks. There are a lot of people who like the Knicks outside of New York. There are a lot of people who do not. And because of the last 20 years, et cetera. So, yeah, we see him every night and we love him. And he does a great job and he takes all high percentage shots and he doesn't turn the ball over and he's not a great defender, but he takes a ton of charges, which is great. But like that doesn't add up into like 2024 NBA excitement highlight guy. And I, I think that's part of the deal. It's interesting to me that, that New York, the population base that they have, I know, we lost a lot to Florida over the last few years, but how is he not in the top three, at least, in the voting? And how is Julius Randle not top ten after that first round? It's, it's wild to me. Um, but we saw last night Eric Spolstra, big extension from the Miami Heat, obviously much deserved. We know Tom Thibodeau, Knicks and Tibbs, I'm told, were not that close on extension talks. Entering the year, he still has a full year left on his deal after this one. Uh, Brendan Brown, Tom Thibodeau. The coaching job that he's done, uh, trade midseason on the fly, getting these guys up to speed. What have you seen from Thibodeau this year, a year where I think a lot of people were wondering, is it going to be the Tibbs effect where the team struggles a year after having a good year? We haven't seen that yet. Yeah, well, that was kind of in the balance in the first 32 games, but things look a lot better after the next five games. Tom Thibodeau, what he's done here, uh, this year offensively, I think they've been a lot more creative in what they're doing in the half court. 
Um, I think they're being a lot more creative in a different way now, uh, scaling back what they're doing and going back to some of his Chicago roots, the way he coached the team defensively there and the way that he's now calling plays in these last five games offensively where Brunson pretty much has the ball all the time in all the pick and rolls, just like Derrick Rose did on those teams. So go ahead, line it up. We're going one-on-one, mano-a-mano with you, offense and defense. What Tom has brought to New York, the Knicks organization, it looks like three or three years uh, in the playoffs out of four, the one team that didn't make the playoffs wasn't like a horrible team, uh, disappointing at 37 wins, but wasn't a bad team. And the accountability, he's done great there. Uh, something he's not given credit for, developing young talent, maybe doesn't play him enough. Well, Barrett and Quickly and others who have been young players here, even a Randall from the very beginning of his first year, Mitchell Robinson, these guys have all gotten better. So what is Tom Thibodeau not done? I mean, he's won a playoff series. He's won coach of the year. Uh, it seems like a, especially the way things are going at this moment, why are you not giving him an extension? Why are you not renewing him? CP, going to going to pivot to you on this schedule because the Knicks have beaten up on teams below them. I think teams coming in with a below 500 record facing the Knicks. The Knicks are 15-1 and one in those games. Next two weeks, the Knicks face a lot of those teams, either even with them or uh, worse than them. What do you see about this next two weeks? Like, where do you want to see the Knicks as they get to late January with this upcoming stretch they have in front of them? Yeah, certainly would like to see them beating those teams above 500 starting Thursday in Dallas with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle returning home, so to speak, against Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. And and uh, Dallas Mavericks team that is pretty much neck and neck with the Knicks in terms of record. So start there on the road against a, a tough Mavericks team and then get revenge against the Orlando Magic on the MLK Day game at MSG. They went into Orlando and, and, and got embarrassed in crunch time by that Magic team, a tough, staunch Magic defensive team, uh, again, and a team that's going to be in your wheelhouse probably from now till the end of the season. So that's going to be a critical game for the Knicks at home. I'd like to see them get that win. But to start the year off 5-0 and and they get impressive wins over the best team in the West in the Minnesota Timberwolves and one of the best teams in the East in the Philadelphia 76ers, you have to be encouraged by that. And with the addition of Ananobi, his presence, you, you have to give them a fighting chance in these games. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they take on the Magic, the Celtics in their last matchup, as well as the Bucks in their uh, last matchup of the regular season. It's going to be interesting to watch. That'll do it for us right now on the putback. Be sure to check us out in podcast form. If you missed anything, we're available on all platforms where you download your podcasts. And CP, the franchise, Knicks Fan TV, and the NBA Report. Be sure to check them out there. Brendan Brown, always bringing fantastic insight to the show. We really appreciate both you guys. We will be back in two weeks. Two weeks, we'll have another putback show. Be sure to keep an eye out for us then, and we will see you soon.